This morning, uh, we're going to continue uh, kind of a short three-lesson series we started a couple weeks ago on time. And we looked a couple weeks ago at simply time realities. We looked at things about time that are true to everyone, whether they're a believer or not a believer. Uh, today, we're going to look at turning time from enemy to friend. Uh, for the Christian, time does not have to be our enemy. It can be our friend if we see time the way God wants us to see time. Then, Lord willing, uh, next week we'll look at time one more time, simply look at how God uses times of our life for growth. How the, as we embrace our temporary life, we can actually see life as God wants us to see it, though we know we're going on to another place in the future. First of all, just a quick reality of some of the things we looked at uh, last week. These are just realities that everyone has to come to terms with. And many segments of our society do come to terms with these truths. Um, Lisa and I are watching, uh, or we did watch last week, a series on Netflix uh, where this guy goes to all these different areas of the world. He called them blue zones, where people are living amazingly long, and he's looking at their diet, their activity habits, their relationships, their spirituality, things like that that would simply explain why they're, they're living longer, because the one that produced that show, recognizes we have a very limited life. Moses wrote in Psalm 90, um, verse 10, all our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. Uh, this is simply our average life expectancy. It has not changed over 3,000 years. It simply remains the same. In fact, the last couple years it's gone down from 79 to around 76. So your days are numbered. And the, quickest, or the quicker we come to terms with that, the better off we'll be to simply look at this limited life the right way. Our days are numbered. If we get to 70, great. If we get to 80, great. Uh, if you're beyond 80, boy, you are blessed because you have extra time that many people that go into those years say, I'm glad to be alive, but it's probably the most difficult time of my life. Some don't even get to 60. Uh, but the average life over 3,000 years has not changed expectancy, 70, 80 years. So scripture says we need to count our days. Moses says again in verse 12, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He doesn't say count your days and try to live it up the best you can because you only have so many. That is not what he says. He says count your days or number your days that you might gain a heart of wisdom. That is, that you might know how to live these precious years that you have on this life. And then there are some places really good for counting. Remember what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it is better to go into the house of mourning, exactly, Jimena, mourning, rather than the house of feasting, for therein is the end of all mankind. Funeral services, intensive care units, Retirement homes, as difficult as they may be to attend or uh, to go to, uh, they are great places for a reality check about simply where life is headed so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So we did some blasting last week. We just <laughs> made sure that we're all on the same page as far as what life looks like. And believer and non-believer has to deal with these realities. But now we get ready to do some building today. Um, and I want to first see this morning, as we turn the corner on time and try to turn time from enemy to friend, is that counting our days does not have to be 
doom and gloom. Counting our days does not have to be doom and gloom for the believer. We don't have to have a bucket list. You know what bucket list means? It means you know you're going to kick the bucket, uh, whatever that means. So you want to try to live it up. You don't have to do that as a believer. You don't have to be terrified of the future knowing that your time is ever more limited on this earth because that is not all there is for the believer. So even though we're taught to number our days and we're taught to gain a heart of wisdom and to count those days, the counting process doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Go ahead and turn into your New Testaments to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, who went through many experiences, persecutions, sufferings, all for his faith and his determination to live out his calling as an apostle, sometimes even had to defend that apostleship to some individuals within churches that were skeptical of him or that tried to uh, raise seeds of doubt in others about him. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul spends a lot of time defending his own experiences, his own devotion to the Lord, so as to establish his credibility. And he speaks about his life experiences. And I want to start reading in verse 7, but we're going to focus on what he says in verse 16. So if you're following along with me in Scripture, we're going to start at verse 7. If you're listening, we're just kind of trying to get the context of what he's talking about. Then we're going to get this life perspective uh, that Paul gives that is applicable to us. Verse 7, though, 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says about himself and other apostles, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around, verse 10, in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life also may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Verse 13 now. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know, verse 14, that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Verse 15, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Let's just pause here. So here Paul is talking about these excruciating experiences of verse 8 and 9, uh, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned. He says verse 11, 
we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So sufferings and turmoil and hard times are simply a part of the believer's life, especially devoted believer's life like the Apostle Paul. He talks about that death is at work in us. We're going to be brought close and walk through the valley of the shadow of death in our life. But he talks then about being raised from the dead, and he will also, Jesus will raise us from the dead. And that's the beginning of this new hope, that despite how terrible life is here, and our days are limited, there is a future beyond this life. And notice how he describes it now in verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not what? We do not lose heart. Though outward we, outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are what? Being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There it is. This is the corner Christians turn. Where counting days go from being days of despair and you have a, on a collision course with a coffin... <laughs> Instead, life pivots and becomes now you're heading towards this grand and glorious future. Notice what he says in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There's the change, the pivot. So instead of losing heart, saying, hey, I only have so many years to go. I'm in the zone, so to speak, of what Moses said in the Psalms of 70, 80 years. Instead of reflecting on life with doom and despair and sadness, Paul says, don't lose heart. Though we are outwardly wasting away, despot, stop here, that's the counting of our days, and we see it in the mirror. We don't look in the mirror the way we did 20 years ago. And 20 years from now, we're not going to look the same as we do now. So though he says outwardly, verse 16, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about, even though there's outward change in your physical body, there's something going on in the inside. And remember, when you came to Christ, we were baptized into Christ. Uh, the old went out and the new came in, and also the Spirit of God came into your body to take residence and is constantly working on your soul or your inner person. As you're going, growing in Christ, you're taking on character, you're taking on your challenges, reconciling broken relations, whatever you're doing that's spiritually healthy, you are being renewed day by day. So there's something going on on the inside that you don't always see and that's not always reflected on the outside. He says we're being renewed day by day. Verse 17, our light momentary troubles, think about the ones you had last week. All the stuff you went through, conflict, physical Difficulty, just getting up in the morning, whatever it was. He says, they're light, momentary troubles. They're achieving for us all an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That is the temporary struggle. So verse 18, we fix our eyes. 
He doesn't just say glance at uh, something. He says we fix our eyes on not what is seen. Don't just look in the mirror. That's what is seen. That's what you see. But instead, what, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The unique Christian perspective of life is that even though you see in the mirror the same thing everyone else sees, decay, aging, wrinkles you never had, facial changes that many people spend thousands to try to reverse, some with some success, some with not so great success, even though those things are all going on, you're inwardly changing, but ultimately you're looking forward to something greater, something that you cannot see that is what God has planned for you in the future. So therefore, when you're looking in the mirror or you're taking an increasingly uh, powerful regimen of medications and you're seeing your doctor far more than you want to be seeing them, there's still something greater in the future. This life is simply temporary. It was always meant to be temporary, at least after the Garden of Eden. It appears that Adam and Eve wouldn't I would have lived forever if it wasn't for sin that was brought into the world. But then things changed. And life became temporary. And ultimately 60, 70, 80 years. But all that will change in eternity. But life is always described as simply being temporary in this life. Uh, temporary now. I want to look at what Peter said. If you want to turn here, you can. Or if you just want to listen. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, verse 13 and 14, look how the Apostle Peter describes this life. Again, this is all part of not losing heart. He says, verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Again, that's 2 Peter 1, verse 13. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Two things to notice from what the Apostle Peter says about how life is to be viewed. First of all, he saw his body as a tent. A tent is a temporary dwelling. I don't know anyone that's desirous to spend very long in a tent. It's fun on vacation if you're camping, but even then you want to get back to running water. You want to get back to a house or a fixed permanent structure. And Peter says that's right concerning your body. It's temporary, and that's why when you age, you can see that it's fading away. And he says, one day I'm going to put it off, as Jesus told me I would. But then he describes his death, verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Notice how the apostle Peter described his death. He called it a departure. I decided to try to camp out on that word a little bit this week as I prepare that, just to think about the idea of departure. First of all, when we talk about someone dying, if we're brave enough, we'll say the word die. When did he die? I had a friend contact me this week because someone we went to college with died. And in his message to me, he asked, when did Tony die? And I thought, well, we don't really use that kind of communication. He and I are good friends, and I understand. I mean, that's just a very rough reality. So we, instead of saying die, we say, well, when did they pass away? We don't even have to spin it like that if we are a believer. Passing away is not 
a really biblical concept, will fly away. I know that's true in Psalms. But that idea of passing away into what? That's not helping anything. They just passed away. Peter said he's going to depart. And I thought, well, what are our concepts that we embrace? Well, if you fly a lot, you depart. If you go to SFO, there's an entire set of lanes for those departing, departures. But it's not departing to death. It's the, you're going somewhere else. You might be going to the Hawaiian Islands, as I like to think about, so I wear this shirt. Uh, or you might be traveling somewhere where there's family that you're close to. But when we get on airlines to depart, we think of going somewhere else where we want to be. And that's how the Apostle Peter used this word depart. And that's how we can describe our death. And that's why counting days does not have to be doom and gloom. Uh, Paul said we do not have to lose heart because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We're simply departing at death to go on to our heavenly home. Again, Jesus through the resurrection changed everything concerning the most formidable experience that we will have in our life. That is the experience of aging and ultimately death. Death simply becomes a departure. And see that. So that when you wake up and it's harder and harder to get out of bed. Or you're feeling things you never felt before. Or doctors diagnose things you never thought you would have. Or you just feel the joints of your body just not functioning the way they're supposed to. And the doctors don't really have an answer anymore. But they'll tell you, well, try this, try this. But they don't really have an answer because it's aging. And they're trying to avoid using that word with you. Just see that you're just getting closer to departing and don't lose heart because of that. That's the first way you can turn time from an enemy to a friend. That is to simply see that you're closer to what God ultimately is planning for you. That is a departure to be with Him. Let's look at that in another way. Well, this counting days... Okay, if you know that your death simply means departure to go on to be with God in your eternal home where you will live forever, then how then do you live in these days? Uh, apparently in the first century, some thought, well, you just sit on the outside of your house on the lawn and you wait for Jesus to come. And that seems to be the challenge Paul addressed in 1 Thessalonians. We won't spend any time there today, but it doesn't mean Christians just lay down and do nothing as they wait for Jesus to return or as they await their own departure. Um, if you go plan a trip and you are going to depart on an airplane, well, you get to the airport, you pack, you pack just the right amount, you make sure you leave on time, and, and you get in the right lane on SFO, you don't want to be on the arrival lane, and you do a lot of work to depart. Uh, you use your time correctly. You don't want to be late, and your plane leave without you. So as you're getting ready to depart in this life to the next life, you use your time very wisely. Counting days starts with using time correctly. I want to turn now to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is one of many texts that tells Christians to focus in on how they're using the time. The Apostle Paul says, verse 15, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let's just look at that again, 15 and 16. First of all, it says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Alright, let's try to break that down. First of all, he says, um, be very careful. He does not say be very scared. God does not want terrified Christians running around that this moment might be their last. He does not want anxiety-filled Christians thinking that they could pass away, if you will, at any moment. But He wants Christians that embrace the idea of departure and are always getting ready to depart. And using that hour or two before the plane goes, that is, are the years of our life, in a very healthy and productive way. He says, well, here's how you do that. Not as unwise, that is wasting time or forgetting where you're going, but instead making the most of every opportunity. Some of the earlier versions say not make the most of every opportunity, but it says redeem the time. Redeem the time, just like the picture says on the screen here. But redeem the time simply makes the mo means make the most of your time. Well, what would that look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't mean that your goal is now to try to live to 100. And in this TV series I was watching, that seemed to be the, the main goal. How do you stretch it out longer than 70 or 80 years? If you live to 100, great. And this shows, showed some wonderful people. They were living into their hundreds. And they were, how do you do it? How do you do it? Oh. But that is never biblically your goal. That is never God's intention that you try to break the year barrier. <laughs> Where even though it says 70, 80 years, you're going to try to push it to 90 and 100. If you do, consider that a blessing and try your best to use those days well. But that's not your goal. It's to try to get into your hundreds and kind of break what the text is saying about the average life expectancy. The goal here is simply to make the most of the time you do have, regardless of how many years you will have. Your goal is to make the most of the time you have, regardless of the years you do have. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you consider your place in life. Is this one way of making the most? You kind of already know that you're not going to be spending time wasting it in sin. That's the number one thing if you're going to live a life of wisdom. You're not going to be trafficking in sin. You're not going to be staying in sin very long. You're going to seek to confess it. You'll always be uncomfortable with it. Repent and get back into the righteous living business. Because time too short to be wasting your time in sin. Elsewhere, Scripture says, we've lived long enough in sinful ways. That is, before we became a believer. So you don't want to go back to those ways and waste years being controlled by the evil one. So once you've decided it's not going to be sin, you, you also decide, I'm not going to invest all my time in things. Even though things are not sinful, inanimate objects are simply maybe to bring enjoyment, um, some momentary pleasure perhaps, 
But ultimately, the things that are the most valuable in your life are going to be people. If you're making the most of every opportunity. Because you want people to be with you in eternity. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't love things. He loved the world. And that's where our attention should be. And that's why so many texts in Scripture upon love and relationships, honoring one another, loving one another, sacrificing for one another, looking out for each other, that should be the center of our attention. Other people. And even the show I watched emphasized that the people are living longer seem to focus on other people the most. They're mentally more healthy. Uh, they're more vital because they've invested their life in people. And if that's true of people without faith, how much more so people of faith. Every moment is spent knowing that you're investing your time well when you're engaged with other people. Whether it be in your community, whether it be as a single person and has more time and freedom than perhaps people that are not single, or someone that's in a difficult environment, you become a light to the world, no matter how difficult your workplace is, you are the light there. There is no unmeaningful place for the Christian life. Wherever you're at is a place of, of work and a place of vitality simply because you are there. And think about how many people need you or depend upon you. And there's so many I'm looking at as I'm preaching this point that are living this out in their life. That are being the light of the world where they work, with relationships they've had all their life, in this church family here, they're making the most of the opportunity they have because that's exactly how God wants them to live. I want you to look at some of these songs that I gave you. I'm going to just reference a few of them um, because they speak. And this one, um, I'm going to look at the one, uh, A Beautiful Life. Thomas uh, communicated with Nathaniel and I this week. Uh, hey, this would be a great song in connection to John's lessons. It's one I've sang all my life. It's A Beautiful Life. Just look at some of the words and this is an older hymn that captures the essence of how a life should be lived if it's making the most of every eternity. Five verses. Verse 1. Let's do each one of these verses, not the chorus. Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span, and so I'll do the best I can. Verse 2. To be a child of God each day, my light must shine along the way. I'll sing His praise while ages roll and strive to help some troubled soul. Verse 3, the only life that will endure is one that's kind and good and pure. And so for God I'll take my stand. Each day I'll lend a helping hand. Verse 4, I'll help someone in time of need and journey on with rapid speed. I'll help the sick and poor and weak and words of kindness to them speak. Verse 5, While going down life's weary road, I'll try to lift some traveler's load. I'll try to turn the night to day Make flowers bloom along the way. Then the chorus. Life's evening sun is sinking low. A few more days and I must go to meet the deeds that I have done. 
where there will be no setting sun. Maybe as I was reading those words, you were singing them because you sang this throughout the years. Beautiful hymn. But notice how the author of the hymn captures this essence of life is temporary and the greatest things are the things that are unseen. He talks about this place where there's no setting sun. He's talking about heaven. But yet, where's the focus upon helping others, lightening the traveler's load, encouraging others, helping? That's the life that is richly lived. Not a life consumed with trying to stretch it out to 100, but a life consumed with investing all your energy, your talent, your compassion, your kindness in other people. Whether they be the children you're raising, the community you live in, your workplace associates, people you share time in your retirement years with, that's where you invest your time. There will be time for yourself. Paul said, do not become weary in well-doing. Don't try to exhaust yourself doing things for other people. But those are the things where your time is best spent. The things with other people. Because what you do with other people echoes into eternity as we try to bring others to Christ through how we're living. So that start, that's how you use your life correctly. Not living it up for you, but living it for other people. It means you don't waste your time. It means you don't ignore things you have to take care of, but you also don't stress about time. You live for others Take care of yourself so you can be there for others and your life will be richly blessed. Here's our third. Perspective on turning a life from, or time, I'm sorry, from being an enemy to a friend. Counting days transforms into embracing the future. Counting days transforms into embracing the future. Remember where we were two weeks ago? Oh man, 70 to 80 years, that's all we have. And I'm going to turn 60 next year. I'm 10, minutes, or 10 years from the zone of getting into the 70s and 80s. And that's doom and gloom. We saw just now, we don't have to be discouraged by that. We see what living wisely is. And now we really pivot one more time to now we can embrace the future and even ask for it to speed up. You go from not believing and being in despair and doom and trying to have bucket lists and things like that, to now you can embrace the future. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to see some scriptures that talk about this new reality for the believer. That is the ability to embrace the future instead of being fearful of the future. Embracing it. We sing about it a lot. Again, you turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, but... You can also, if you have your Bible in one hand and one of these songs in another, I believe one of the songs I gave you is When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Nathaniel leads us a lot in that song. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be what? No more. And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, all what? Be there. Verse 2. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of His resurrection share, when His chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, all what? Be there. 
Verse 3, Let us labor for the Master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all His wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. That's it. That song captures this idea of you can embrace the future. Instead of dreading it. I only have so many years. You embrace it because you see God's plan for you goes beyond the grave. And look how Paul states it in this book to the Thessalonian Christians. Verse 13 beginning. Chapter 4. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Verse 14, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord, what? Forever. What do we do with that? Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's the ultimate change. We have this great day that's coming. When the Lord returns, it may happen in our lifetime where in an instant we'll all be changed. God's going to bring with Him those who've already died. And then we will meet the Lord in the air. And then it says again, verse 17, and we will be with the Lord forever. This temporary life that's 70, maybe 80 years average life expectancy all of a sudden disappears and we are now ushered into our eternal home. And Paul's only conclusion is, therefore what, verse 18? Encourage one another with these words. Our days are not to be filled with doom and gloom. Though the doctor may say, you need to get your affairs in order, you can say, my affairs are already in order. You're just telling me I'm one step closer. That doesn't mean you trivialize death. That doesn't mean you joke at a funeral. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus, John 11. God never intended for death to be a reality, but human beings messed it all up. And death became a reality, and it's still to be grieved. But we have this triumph over the grave where Jesus returns to transform our lowly bodies into His glorious body. And therefore that means we can embrace the future. We can embrace it. Because there is a time coming, as the song says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. That all of a sudden this temporary transitory life that's marked by time markers all the time, all of a sudden time now disappears. Now, retired people have a little glimpse of this already. You ever talk to retired people? They're not quite sure if it's Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday. 
because they're not having to show up every day. They're not having, Mary Gail, she knows, and I've spoken to a lot of retired teachers. They kind of get this a little bit. The body's still telling them one thing. At least they're not living on the clock all the time as far as time constraints. But there's still that constraint of death. But here you can embrace the future. Even though outwardly your body is wasting away, and the ravages of time are sinking in, you still know on the inside you're being renewed day by day that you're just that much closer to your eternal home. And what a blessing that is. Eternity is what matters the most. Not trying to live it up in the here and now. See that as a great blessing. And that's why Paul said in other texts, Lord, come quickly. And he said in another place, in Philippians 1, I long to depart and be with Christ. Because he could embrace his future, even though it might end prematurely or earlier than he wanted. He could still embrace what was on the other side. And Peter could stand beside him and say, though my departure is coming, he knew his eternal home was on the other side. We are pilgrims heading to another place to a new land, a new and better land. As Jay taught us this morning, the fear of death is gone. We've been freed from that. Where death simply becomes now an entryway into eternity. A difficult one to deal with, but still an entryway into eternity. And that's why this song, I'm going to read the one last song and then we'll be finished. You won't see it on the screen too well, but you'll see that people are singing it. But it's in your hand. This should be our anthem song. Sang it as a little boy and we sing it still today. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Verse 1. Time is filled with swift transition. Not of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Verse 2. Trust in Him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring, if by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to Him cling. Verse 3, when your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and bright the home and glory, your enraptured soul will view. The chorus, hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. What a blessed life we live. Not because we found the secret to stopping aging. But we found hope in Jesus Christ. Who broke the bonds of death through His Father's power, enabling Him to rise from the dead. And He paves the way for all to be raised from the dead through our faith and trust in Him. As I love to say in my sermons, our greatest days are what? Yet to come. Embrace the future. For what God has planned for you will cover everything you're going through now. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song to encourage us. Because the evil one's trying to pull us the other way. Everything's temporary to him. Everything's here and now. Get your pleasure in now because you're not going to have it later. And All those things Satan is constantly throwing at us. 
that our job is to resist Him, to fight Him, and this morning to strengthen each other in this lifelong battle that one day we'll receive our rest when the battle is over and the victory will be won and death will be swallowed up in victory through Jesus Christ. Take on the battle. See this group of believers here that have made a stand that they're going to go forward to eternal things through Jesus Christ. And be thankful that God has done for you what He has. Where would we be? Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Our hope is in Him.